This is December 17th, and this is the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. And welcome back to the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. My name is Evan Marinovsky, and for the first time this year, I'm recording a Bruins Beat, and the Bruins are not that hot right now. They're coming off a win against Florida, 4-2 to on Saturday. Before that, they'd lost uh, five in a row or hadn't won a game in five games. Um, and now they're kind of seeming like they're getting back into it. They're coming home, all that great stuff. I think this is a great show. Um, I will say this right up front. I think this is a great show. Uh, Jack Edwards is on today, uh, play-by-play voice of the Bruins. If you li- Literally, if you watch the Bruins, you know who Jack Edwards is. I don't need to introduce him anymore. Then, uh, then you already know him, so what's the point? Um Last time Jack was on was in July, I believe, or it might have been August. It was it was during that time. Uh, I had Jack on for a really long interview. I think we went two hours, so I said screw it, and I split it into two parts. Really great two part interview. If you haven't listened to it, I would go listen to it. We dive into Jack's career, um, you know, calling Bruins games, what he did before Bruins, all that fun stuff. Uh, his childhood, because I think Jack's a really interesting person. I really do believe that. I think Jack is a very interesting guy, um, and getting to know him has been great. Today, we just focused on the now. This is a normal conversation. This is not two hours. This was, I think, like 30 minutes. Um, it says it on the podcast, so you'll be able to see. Um, but we talked about, you know, is this the Bruins hitting the wall? And then we get an interesting conversations regarding Taylor Hall, possible trade targets, and then we wrap up with a conversation about the decade. Um, and I think you guys will like that. Right now, actually, this decade piece is out on clnsmedia.com by me. Uh, it's going to be out every Wednesday, I think. Last week was top 10 most memorable goals. Tomorrow will be, and I know this is a little disappointing. It's a little negative. It's the only negative decade piece, but it is negative. Uh, top 10 disappointments of the decade. And I think it's going to make you think. I know it might evoke some bad emotions in you Bruins people, but it's going to make you think. And you can look forward to positive ones the rest of the way. So you can look forward to that. Before we get into the interview, I want to tell you about today's sponsor. Football and basketball seasons are in full swing. Get into the game with our exclusive sports betting partners. Not just sponsors. They're, they're my partners. BetOnline.ag. Sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit to start betting college or professional ball. Every spread, every total, every winner or loser, straight bet, parlay, or tease your way through the season if you'd even like to. You can even bet a wild proposition bet, such as who will be the first head coach to get canned or who will win the NBA MVP, things like that. And you can also vote on hockey stuff too. Uh, get the fastest to market odds, updates, and payouts with our new sportsbook partners, betonline.ag. Head over to our website, or use your mobile device to join and use promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Jack Edwards. And we're here with Jack Edwards. Jack, how are you? I'm doing fine, thanks. How are you, Evan? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's uh, it's get it's December. Christmas time is almost here. It's the end. Of, it, can you believe it's the end of the decade? Isn't that nuts? <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I don't pay much attention to uh, to time. I try to live in the moment, and uh, I look up every twenty years or so, uh, or so and say, I can't believe I'm this old, but. Uh, you know, it's working out so far. So 
Hey, it's not that's not a bad way to live at all. That's not a bad way to live. Uh, but we do have to look at time for the Bruins. And uh, right now, you know, they just won in Florida four to two on Saturday. This is being recorded Monday. Um, the 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 Panthers win ended a five game losing streak. Bruce Cassidy kind of said before the season that they were going to come out hot, and that it was kind of that wall they were going to hit during the season that was going to test them the most. Is this that, was that the wall that he was talking about? Yeah, I asked him that directly uh, after, uh, what was it, the uh, Tampa Bay loss, maybe. Or uh, perhaps it was uh, uh, the loss in in Washington. Um, But, uh, yeah, he said he acknowledged that. Um, And I think that you saw... uh, an emotional commitment in the win over Florida. Now, Florida is not on the level of Washington or Tampa Bay, but uh, right off the opening faceoff, Marshawn jumps into the faceoff circle, wins the puck, takes it to the attacking zone, and the Bruins get four challenging shots on goal in the first minute and a half of that game. Um, that doesn't forgive the uh, 3-0 lead that turned into 3-2 in the third period. Oh, my God. But, but again, it was individual breakdowns, and they made their corrections. So, you know, I, I, I think that's as well as you can expect a team to play in early December that has a comfortable division lead. Uh, I think they're emotionally attuned again, and uh, I'm not worried about the future of this team. Yeah, I don't think there's any worry for the future, obviously. I mean, in an 82-game season, uh, newsflash, you're going to hit some lulls. I don't yeah. think – and you play the Capitals, you play the Lightning, you're going to you're gonna lose at some point. Um, you know, they couldn't go the whole season without a regulation loss to the Garden. I mean, that just wasn't going to take place. I know it's crazy to think about. But uh, I want to ask you this. Maybe this is just me, and I always find this with the Panthers – and I just never find them interesting. You know, I know they're a good team right now. They have Bobrovsky and Net. They got guys like Barkov, Ekblad. But the seats are empty in Florida. And I just, like, every time they go to Florida or they play them at home, I'm always just like, nah, it's the Panthers. Like, the, I said this to someone the other day. The Panthers could be undefeated. And I would just be like, well, they're the Panthers. You know, <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Well, it's, it's the three most important rules of real estate. Location, location location sunrise florida i i don't know its history but i'm pretty sure that 50 years ago it used to be a swamp uh it sure looks like it was reclaimed land um it was obviously really inexpensive at one point and they built just this gigantic 19,000 seat arena in the middle of nowhere i mean it was it, it's it's like Foxborough before Craft Village, right? Yeah. And and it's uh, it's really in the middle of nowhere uh, in South Florida. Um, and hockey remains an urban game in terms of its fan base. Uh, if there isn't public transit available to fans. Uh, most teams have a hard time filling their arenas because they play weeknights uh, a lot of the time throughout the winter. And that's, you know, that's not a high outdoors, oh, let's go to a hockey game kind of period of, of year. And uh, 
you know, Dale Talon is an unbelievable uh, uh, estimator of talent. He is, uh, he, look at his body of work in Chicago and, and now in Florida. Uh, he can spot talent and not just in the first round where it's obvious. Um, he is, is a really clever builder of hockey teams. And uh, I think if I were to say that there's one problem the Florida Panthers have had, it's uh, that uh, they enabled Tom Rowe to do a, a corporate coup and, uh, or a push even, uh, where he displaced a guy in Gerard Gallant, who was a great coach and was building confidence in a young team with developing players and they were taking strides every year. And suddenly, in the first third of the season, they turfed him for no good reason at all, and the team started going backwards. And you look at a talent like Aaron Ekblad, who was just beginning to blossom after winning the Calder Trophy, and, and Gallant had him going in the right direction. He's working on his fourth coach in five years. Yeah, and that's, true. that's four different systems to play. Playing defenseman in the NHL is the hardest position in all of pro sports, much less having to figure out four different systems of play in the first five years of your pro career when you started at age 18. Yeah, I know. You know that's I nuts. Mean, that's, just, that's just nuts. And, and, you know, so no wonder the team has not done well. The reason they don't draw well is they've got a terrible location. But, you know, I, I on the air on Saturday night, I urged fans in the South to see the Florida Panthers because that team is really exciting. Well, what's funny is you must love that trip every year to, down to Florida, This the, the swing they were just on. Because it's like you go to D.C. and then you go to Warm Tampa Bay and warm Florida in the middle, in, you know, in the middle of December. That must be a tremendous trip to go on to see. Oh, they're playing Florida in the dead of winter, which means I get three days of nice warm weather. I mean, you can't hate that. Um, well, uh, I'll, I'll tell you on, uh, on Friday, uh, I think that was the day we got there. Uh, <laughs> on Friday, I spent about 45 minutes outside because I ate at an outdoor cafe, and on Saturday I spent about seven minutes outside. So you know, it's it's the uh, misconception of of uh, a play-by-play announcer's life uh, that we go to uh, really fabulous places. Well, the places may be fabulous, and I can tell you all you want to know about the airport, the hotel, and the hockey rink, but uh, not much else. But you know, I. Yeah, I Fort Lauderdale is. It looked spectacular when I glanced up and out the window. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say you must. I don't. I don't see a lot of time spent on the beach for you when you get on to Florida yeah. to call a game in December. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm beyond white. I'm blue. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. We all are this time of year. Um, yeah. One problem that it seems this Bruins team has is secondary scoring. You guys ran a stat before uh, the game against Florida. Um, in the first, in the last, in the five game losing streak, Krejci had no points, Coyle no points, and Heinen had no points. DeBrusque had two. And that was the stat. Not, not a great yeah. stat. Not, not a great yeah. stat. Um, it, it, right now with the trade deadline sort of coming, one name that's been popping up is Taylor Hall. 
And, yeah. you know, Taylor Hall sat out the games in Colorado and Arizona and everyone's saying he's going to get traded, he's going to get traded. The Bruins were rumored to be a team kind of in on him. I mean, I, I, I doubt they'd do anything, but I mean, I'm someone I think going for Taylor Hall, if you're the Bruins with this type of team is kind of a smart move because you got to go all in. What do you think of a guy like Taylor Hall? I think he would be an unbelievable fit on this team because I'm with you on he, that. He, he plays a robust game. Uh, he gets a ton of shots. He has a low shooting percentage, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because a shot that doesn't go in that's on goal. And uh, the Bruins have demonstrated, especially the guy who would be playing the opposite wing to him, Jake DeBrusque, because uh, you would presume he would go right onto Krejci's line. Agreed. Um, and, and Jake DeBrusque is fearless. You know, he, he goes right to the post on every rush if he's able. And uh, uh, a Taylor Hall would be an ideal fit for the Bruins. The question is, how much jiggering of the salary cap does Don Sweeney have to do, and how much uh, blood money is is uh, Ray Shiro going to demand? You know, the the Bruins gave up uh, what Ryan Spooner, Ryan Lindgren, and a first round pick for Rick Nash, right? Yes. Yeah. And. Uh, was there anything else in that deal? I, I don't recall. But, I think it was just know, those three things. Yeah, those were and, – and Spooner was playing reasonably well at that point, and, and Lindgren is going to be a really good player. I, I think he slots in as a second pair of defensemen uh, when he reaches his ceiling, maybe a, maybe a top pair. Um, and the first-round pick is the first-round pick. Um, you, you look at the fragility – and the, the increasing fragility of, of, uh, Patrice Bergeron, of, uh, a quality player in David Krejci, who is really probably the most underrated player of the 21st century for the Boston Bruins. Totally agree. Uh, and, and, uh, how many more kicks at the can are you going to get? Tuka Rask is still a, at the summit of his powers. Uh, Yaro Halak, you would turn to in a flash if Rask had a, a medium or long-term injury during the playoffs. Um, this team is set to take another kick at the can, but um, they're not looking like a Stanley Cup champion at this juncture. So, yeah, you know, I'm all in on the trade, but my job doesn't ride on, on the future uh, assets that you're going to have to give up to uh, Ray Shiro, who's who's got his eye on the future clearly, and and wants to build with with uh, serious equity pieces. Yeah. See, my thought process is, as you said, these types of Bruins teams, these types of hockey teams, don't just pop up every couple of years for every franchise. These take gen- these take a generation to build. You know, this team took a long time to come together, and obviously, they've been great. But you know. In 2015, 2014, we all were thinking, man, they're headed for a real rebuild. Now they've rebuilt in a flash. They have a great bunch of young talent, a great veteran core, two great goalies. You go for it. You go for it. Char is not getting any younger. I mean, you know, you don't know how much longer he has. Krejci has a year left on his deal. You know, Bergeron's shown a lot of signs of injuries, stuff like that. You go for it on this. I have a guy like Taylor Hall, go for it. Go for it. And also one other thing. 
There were two other pieces in that Rick Nash trade. I just looked it up. One was a, a, a seventh round pick. The other was Matt Bolesky. I forgot that Matt Bolesky yeah. was involved in that deal. Yeah, because uh, the Rangers had some room and, and the Bruins wanted to get rid of Bolesky's contract. So that was uh, kind of a housekeeping issue. And, and that's necessary. And that, that would be necessary. And, and perhaps, um, you know, they could, they could get rid of some money that uh, Sweeney finds unnecessary to keep on, on the parent club. But, um, you know, it, it's strictly a rental. Because Taylor Hall's going to get nine or ten million dollars from somebody for seven years, and and he deserves it. You know, he's he's a warrior. He's played for two really bad teams. Oh yeah, he had an he had an MVP year and put the New Jersey Devils on his back and that was carried incredible. Them, carried them to the playoffs, and and in February of that season, I was. I was touting Hall as the uh, Hart Trophy winner for that season because of that very reason. That was a, a demonstration that, yes, a single player can lift his entire franchise if everybody's willing to come along. The problem was that the next season, everybody wasn't willing to come along. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not sustainable if you don't have a true nucleus and uh, – he was just, he was stupendous and he's capable of being stupendous for many more years. It feels like since, you know, the reports have been that the teams that are mainly in on Hall are the Panthers and the Coyotes and the, uh, and the Avalanche. What yeah, are the chances? The <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Avs out of nowhere. What do you think the chances are, uh, of the Bruins going for somebody, you know, a, a tier or two lower? So a Tyler Toffoli, a Chris Kreider, um, you know, a Kyle Palmieri who's on the Devils as well. What do you think the chances of that are? Um, I think they're going to do something. Um, I I think they're going to aim as high as they possibly can. But, uh, you know, it's it's no guarantee of, of a positive result. Uh, the risk when you take a, a second-tier player is to give up too much in trade. Um, there are Bruins – Bruins have a lot in the pipeline and, uh, they're not going to be able to keep them all because of the, uh, the growing RFA phenomenon, uh, which is guys really cashing in on their second contracts, uh, which takes up a lot of space that you are probably reserving for developing talent. Um, that said, uh, they want to keep as many of those guys as they possibly can because they've got a really championship culture in Boston right now. You see guys like, like Charlie Coyle take less money than he certainly could demand on the open market to be a part of the Bruins. And, and part of that is location. Kreider uh, is an enigma. Uh, that, that guy is, capable of being a Blake Wheeler. You know, he's capable of being a, a top five power forward in the NHL because about once every two games, he puts on a rush that nobody can stop. And if he could do that twice per game or three times per game, then you'd have a $9 million a year player. And I don't know what's keeping him from doing that, but 
the temptation is certainly there. And he's a local guy. He's from Foxford, Massachusetts. So, you know, maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. You know, you got Jimmy Hayes at one end of the spectrum and Charlie <laughs> Coyle at the other. So, you know, and, and when Jimmy Hayes arrived at the Bruins, he got overestimated, you know, that he was not capable of, of the stuff that Charlie Coyle is capable of. Uh, and he didn't accomplish that. That doesn't make him a bad person. It was just impossible expectations to overcome. Um, I think that Kreider would face uh, a similar kind of expectation, but is probably more capable of filling it. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny. I think a guy like Kreider, it feels like, and, and you mentioned the Jimmy Hayes thing, and this kind of turns me off to that, but it feels like these local guys come in and, you know, elevate their game aside from Jimmy Hayes. Um, it, you know, maybe there's a mayor of Boxford. Maybe, maybe Chris Kreider fits that mold. He becomes a mayor on this team. Um, but it should be interesting. I mean, it's December. I don't know if trades are going to be made now. I mean, the deadline is far out, but maybe the Bruins want to keep their lead in the division. Who knows? Um, I want to end with this. Uh, it's the end of the decade. I know you don't like to look at time, but I'm going to make yeah. you look at time. Yeah. Um, uh, with the decade ending, uh, I'm looking, I'm, you know, taking a look back and I want to ask you this, and this is kind of negative, but this goes along with something I'm writing for this week. So I guess I gotta, I gotta ask. <laughs> what would you say? The biggest Bruins disappointment of the decade was. Oh, no question. Uh, it was 2014. Uh, you know, Kerry Price, tip your cap. Uh, he was unbelievable in that series. Um, but uh, the Canadians were able to shut down a team of destiny uh, because the Bruins were coming off a uh, game six loss in the Stanley Cup final against a Chicago team that was at the zenith of its powers and uh the cup was very winnable for that team but uh price stoned him in the second round and and the game was over and we were into two years of a rebuild uh that team had so much swagger uh that team was was better than you and <laughs> and they would come into your barn and announce that before the game even started with their body language, and they would pummel you. Go back and look at the second and third period goal differential combined by the Bruins against the rest of the league that year. It was absurd. There there was a bigger second and third period combined differential for the Bruins between them in first place and whoever finished second than between the second-place team in that category and the ninth-place team. So you got eight of the nine best teams in the NHL, and that space is the space between two and one. And and that's how good that team was. And, you know, it speaks spectacularly of Carey Price's ability and his performance in the second round to, to shut that team down because – they mashed you from the start, and then they just ground your bones and sold them for flour. It was just an unbelievable team to cover. It had the right personalities, the right combination of toughness and skill, and uh, and they knew it. And they were amazed that they got stopped in their quest for the Stanley Cup. But 
that's why they play the games, right? <laughs> that's true. It's funny. I remember when we talked back in July, uh, when we had that long, I did that long form interview with you. You had said, you, you mentioned how like those felt like the good old days. Like that team was just so much better than everybody. And yeah. the, the disappointment of losing. It's funny. I feel like people forget that team, um, in the realm of this decade because they lost in 2013. They lost the cup, uh, this past year, the 2011 team won. So I feel like that 2013, 14 team gets lost in the shuffle, but regular season wise, that was the best team. If I'm not mistaken, oh. they were president's trophy winners. Oh. oh yeah. Yeah. And, and. You know, you make a good point. I, I actually, in retrospect, am, am more disappointed in the 2014 result than the 2019 result because I can rationalize and understand how 2019 happened. You know, it was a team that, that slightly overachieved, went way beyond expectations because Tampa Bay had not experienced the lull that the Bruins just got through and therefore didn't learn from how to get out of a slump during the regular season and got in a slump in the first round and got swept by Columbus. That yeah. opened things up for the Bruins. And, and you know, everything fell in place. The Bruins achieved, uh, you know, 99% of that on their own, but you could understand why St. Louis was a better, better team than the Bruins. I will go to my grave feeling that the Bruins had it in them in 2014 to demonstrate to the entire hockey world that they were hands down the best team in hockey. See, I think the biggest disappointment of this decade for them, the, the mantra, the 2014, 2014 team against Montreal is like, I think third on my list, but for me, and maybe this is recency bias, losing in game seven of the 2019 cup final for me, I think is the most disappointing thing. Solely because you have the cup in the, in the, in the building, a chance to win the, the cup on home ice, you know, um, you, as you mentioned, the easy road last year was supposed to be the last chance at the cup for them. For me, it has to be the 2019, uh, cup loss. The Montreal one's up there. The 2013 loss is up there, but it just, they had it. And, and St. Louis didn't seem like that much of a better team. I mean, I always say the 20, you know, the 2019 Blues kind of did what the 2011 Bruins did to the Canucks. They outhit them. They outwilled them. You know, the other team might have been more skilled, but they outhit them. And, and I just think that the Bruins had it in them to beat the Blues this past year, you know, and it all changed in game four when Ryan O'Reilly scored that goal, uh, less than a minute into the game. But for me, the most disappointing you know, thing of the past decade. And there's actually quite a lot of little disappointing moments, but it has to be losing in the cup final last year. Uh, just for me personally. And I think, I think a lot of people agree with that. Um, yeah. Well, you know, you're, you're entitled to your opinion and I, I respect it. Uh, I think if you look at the way Craig Berube approached the Stanley cup final and his strategy playing the referees publicly, during the Stanley Cup Yes, Final. I forgot about that. It, it really it really played into the deep strategy that he had. And, you know, he had two fourth-line Scud missiles suspended for one game each. Uh, you know, Oscar Sundquist and, uh, and uh, Barbashev, Ivan Barbashev. And the Bruins, as a result of targeted illegal play, uh, lost Matt Grizzlick for four games. 
and Grizzlick was the Bruins defenseman who was most able to escape the uh, fearsome St. Louis forecheck. I, I submit to you that if Grizzlick were healthy for games three, four, five, and six, uh, that the Bruins win the Stanley Cup. But uh, Berube figured it out. He targeted Grizzlick. He got two players suspended for one game each who were obviously expendable. And the Bruins lost a guy for four games who was not expendable. So do the math. And, and Craig Berube was, was able to figure it out. So I tip my cap to him. But, you know, I, in, in, in later years, <laughs> I think you'll look back and, and wistfully look at that 2014 team and, and say, wow, you know, they could have gone a lot, lot further than they did. Oh, they missed expectations by a mile. Side note, Craig Berube was such a tool in that Stanley Cup series. I mean, my God. Uh, you know what? God. You know what? You know what? He's, he's actually a really good guy and, um, a lot of, of a coach's public demeanor, uh, when the cameras are rolling, uh, any coach in the NHL has to be cognizant of the exposure and the possibility that a short sound is going to be taken out of context. Uh, I thought it was a, a master strategy in uh, in the long run. You know, oh, it works. The the NHL suspending two fourth line guys for one game each. That's pathetic. I mean, that's pathetic. And and the Bruins losing a player as valuable as Grizzly in the context of of that series and St. Louis's particular objectives with its forecheck. Um, you know, I I thought it was uh, was really brilliant coaching, and uh, he found a weak point in the Bruins and he exploited it. That's what a coach is supposed to do. And you know, I disagreed with him a lot. Uh, with his his public statements, but uh, in the longer view, he was just playing the NHL and he played it like a violin. Yeah, no, I mean it worked. Can't can't complain about that. Um, one yeah. last thing I'll say about 2014. That was the last time David Krejci had a permanent right winger for a whole yeah. season. It was Jerome McGinley. That was the last time he had a guy. Might as yeah. well with this maybe being one of his last seasons in Boston. Why not give him a winger on his right side? Jack, thank you so much for all this. Is there anything, obviously, you call every Bruins game. Uh, people should go watch Bruins games. <laughs> Anyways, um, is there anything you're working on at Neston that you want to give a little shout-out to? Well, uh, we've got uh, the My Story series in the works, and uh, that's it's a wonderful series because you really do learn uh, about players' personalities, and, and it's uh, – it's a really good series, and, and uh, our executive producer, Rick Jaffe, is uh, really doing a fabulous job with it. Um, and also, we've got something in the works to honor Zidane Chara's upcoming 1,000th game as a Bruin, but uh, that's probably going to air about a month from now. So, you know, we'll let you know. Well, there you go. We'll look forward to it. <laughs> Jack, thank you as always, uh, and, you know, hopefully have a happy holidays. Uh, Merry Christmas. And to all of you uh, Bruins Beat listeners out there, I'm Evan Marinovsky. You guys have a great rest of your week. 